This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we're going to meet best-selling author and celebrity life coach, Susie Moore, who just wrote a fantastic book, and it's called Let It Be Easy, Simple Ways to Stop Stressing and Start Living. And she asks a very simple question, and that is, if your life could be made easy, what would that be worth to you? Let It Be Easy empowers readers to allow more ease into every situation from what to make for dinner, how to have more intimacy with your spouse, how to manage a crisis, and the best way to make peace with a neglectful parent, and so much more. Also later on the show, we will meet singer, songwriter, and painter Bill Barnes, who has been greatly influenced by Canadian music legend Gordon Lightfoot. And he has a great story about how they connected and what happened when they met. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about my illustrious first guest, Susie Moore. Susie Moore is the author of Let It Be Easy, and also you'll remember her from the wonderful book, Stop Checking Your Likes. She is a former executive turned celebrity life coach and advice columnist, and her work has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Dr. Oz, Oprah, Business Insider, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Cosmopolitan Magazine. Born in England, she lives in Miami with her husband, Heath, and her Yorkshire Terrier, Coconut. And you can find out more about her awesome work at her website, which is susie-more.com. And there you go. And we'll have more about all of the ways you can get in touch with Susie at the end of the show. Susie, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. So great to have you here. Oh my gosh, Judy, what a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Congratulations on your latest book, Let It Be Easy, Simple Ways to Stop Stressing and Start Living, which actually comes out in a few days on November the 9th. Yay. Congratulations on that. That's so exciting. It really is. And I said this to you in the virtual green room before this interview. It's so readable and so chock full of suggestions and tips and feel good messages. Can you tell us what inspired you to put together all of your celebrity life coaching and executive experience together to write this book? Yes, Judy. Yes, yes. What a wonderful opener. Thank you. Well, those of you who read this book or have maybe read my other books know that when I grew up, I had a very chaotic experience. I lived in lots of different places, including domestic abuse shelters with my mom and sister. We were on welfare. It was a struggle. And I remember growing up watching my mom struggle so much and thinking to myself, wow, you know, um, this, you know, this, this is hard, right? Like this, I, I see how hard this is. I see how there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of pressure and we always feel so uncertain about you know what's going to be coming next and I remember thinking to myself well when I'm an adult that's going to change right because I'll get a good job I'll be able to take care of my mom I'm going to choose someone really nice and normal to marry who just <laughs> who just treats me well and it'll be simple and easy then I grew up you know essentially and I did achieve a lot of those things I had a great career in tech age 30 I was making half a million dollars 
dollars, happily married. Um, but Judy, it still wasn't easy. <laughs> there was still anxiety in my life, low level. I was still concerned about the future. I was like, when exactly do I get to relax? Like I thought that this would be it. Like this would be the season yeah, that I get. You know, I get to have an, an easy time. And it just that wasn't true. It was hard back then. It was hard in the now. You know, and I was like, this is unacceptable to me. Like this is not how I'm going to live my life. And it turns out that, you know, ease is a skill like any other. And I've been really obsessed with mastering it and allowing it in and removing a lot of resistance and unnecessary stress that just seems to surround us all when we don't question it. You make it look so easy (laughs) to, to be easier, but really it's almost as simple as that. How do we know that we're not allowing our lives to be easy. What are some of the clues that tell us that we're actually making things difficult for ourselves? Essentially, you know by how you feel. When was the last time you asked someone, you know, how are you? And they're like, I'm just on top of the world. Like, I'm really just feeling so good about my life. I feel great. Like, I just feel so relaxed. Like, I mean, it's maybe one in 400 people will tell you that. And so your emotions are this incredible real-time data that's giving you feedback on what you're thinking and how you're managing your mind. And if you feel stress, if you feel low-level anxiety, I completely understand. If you feel maybe even a bit of a foreboding, unable to really, you know, take it, take a seat and like rest into the joy that surrounds you and all of your blessings. And you may know that intellectually. Yes, I've got a gratitude list. Yes, I know that I'm healthy. Yes, I know, da 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 whatever it may be. We actually don't let it sink in. And Judy, I think it's a tragedy. We're missing our lives. And to me, that's unacceptable. The end of our lives are coming. We don't know when that's going to be. And to look back and to realize we should have let ourselves be happier, we could have let it be easier. Um, that's something that I really, really want to um, to wake people up to, that that's possible. And so it's so encouraging and, and so hopeful to hear about it. Can you give us a practical example of or two, because uh, there that you have millions of them, how you can make things easier in your own life? Like people who are listening right now, what are one or two things they can do like right after this show or right now to start? Yes, a couple of things. Uh, we hear all the time, you know, especially as coaches, Judy, that people say, you know, they feel stuck, feeling stuck in a job, stuck in a relationship, stuck in a life position. When we feel stuck, we're forgetting that we have options. And this stuck stress mentality shuts off the creative centers of our brain, gives us tunnel vision and makes us unable to see the possibilities around us. And there are always at least three options to any struggle. Looking at your options, it feels obvious, but it's so completely overlooked. I feel stuck. Why? Stuck in my job. Are you? Like, let's look at your options. Stuck in this this unhealthy relationship. Are you? Is it unhealthy? Like, let's look at it. You know, so reviewing your options, you'll always become more powerful. You'll realize you'll feel more free and you'll become creative and you'll start to see solutions. So anytime you feel stuck and that is a big feeling of stress, remember you have options, review them. And a good coach will talk through options with you. You can also do it yourself. I love that. Yeah. Options, options that whenever think about it, when you go somewhere and there's options of, you know, what to eat or there's a vacation, like where should we go? I mean, that's when we feel powerful. It's when we feel good. We feel like I'm living from free will, right? From this place of choice. Mm -hmm. So remember that's true in life too. Even when we don't think it is like review your options, they exist. And then the second piece is, um, there are three questions I love to ask when I feel stress starting to come into my body and they go in this order and they're very easy to follow. And you want to do these as soon as you can. You want to catch the momentum early. If, when you feel the stress kind of, you know, seeping in the first is to ask, 
how serious is this really? The way that our brains are wired, we think that we're under physical threat when something happens. We think, you know, I'm going to die. The primary job of the brain is to ensure our survival. So we need to, because we're cerebral human beings, have the ability to think and to ration, to go, hey, like, okay, so maybe I had some unwanted news today. How serious is this really? And you want to do this, like I said, immediately because you can interrupt the stress response of like really shutting down or really panicking. How serious is this really? Mm. The second part is to ask what's essential here because often when something happens, there's going to be an action required from you and maybe it doesn't need to be instant and it doesn't have to be perfect. Like even a small action is enough. A friend of mine used this recently when she was so exhausted one evening. She didn't want to cook for her kids because she wanted to just say, can these kids have cereal? It's what they want. And she had this terrible mother story and all this guilt. And she's like, you know, what's essential here? And it's like that they eat something. And she's like, one night they can have cereal. Like the only essential thing is that there is some food. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And then the third, my favorite question is, you know, how can I let it be easy? So how serious is it if kids for one night have cereal? Mm-hmm. Like, is it life and death? Should we call child protective services? <laughs> like number two, what's essential? Just something to eat, right? right. Something. It's like whatever. And then how can I let it be easy? Yeah, kids go for it. This is a one-off treat tomorrow. <laughs> you have vegetables. Okay. Like, like, but we can apply this to so much in business, in family, in friendships, in so much. And um, those three simple questions can take you from a state of panic and um, guilt and self-defeat and doubt to a place of just being calm mm-hmm. and taking a good, rational, forward action that benefits everyone. I love that. That's so fantastic. And something starts to happen when we begin to let things be easy. Our lives begin to transform. How so? When you kind of allow ease in and ease always surrounds us, it's not something that you have to attain. It's just something that you have to tune into because it's always actually available. Uh, You become this magnet for things, for people, for opportunities. Everyone wants to know your secret. Like, why is she so happy? Why is he having a good time? Like, why is this not problematic for him or her when everyone else is like freaking out? Like um, you, the world perceives you in a different way and you start to actually be present for the day to day. And the day to day is your life. I love that you said magnet. It's so true because we're attracted to people who are easy and, and mm-hmm. we want to be, we want to be that person. We want to be around those people. We've just come out of, we hope, uh, two years of uh, this terrible pandemic. Yeah. Why is it more important to be easy now than ever before? I think that the last couple of years have taught us a lot about the fragility of human life, about, you know, all the blessings we had that were momentarily put on hold when we couldn't see each other, couldn't do a lot of the things that bring us joy. And now, you know, God willing with, you know, uh, there being more ease, more openness, more ability to do some of the things that matter to us that weren't available for a long time. Um, why waste a moment? <laughs> right? Like why, why waste a moment? And I also believe that we're in this period of transition where we can also feel an overwhelm right now because I've had um, women say to me, well, we didn't have the holidays last year. So this time it has to be extra brilliant. You know, this holiday season has to be extra. And I'm like, does it? (laughs) <laughs> like, isn't just being together enough? You don't need 17 stuffings. Like, like let oh, it be so. easy. I mean, the most important thing is as a host that you're in a good mood and that you love everybody who's there and you allow them to be themselves. You know, like really that's it. You're so right. We've managed to mm-hmm. find other joys. I also loved when you said in the book that it's not about toxic positivity or an unhealthy denial of real pain. Yes. What do you mean when you when you talk about 
unhealthy denial of real pain and toxic positivity. Yes. I think that, you know, for some people, they can hear a let it be easy message and go, yeah, it must be nice. All you must do is walk around with affirmation saying life is great. I'm great. I feel great when that's not true. Right. And we're too clever to be tricked into using affirmations like that when they just don't feel honest. Right. The body knows the mind knows we know. And it's actually the opposite because when you pay attention, right, when you let something be easy, instead of like, you know, shoving it under the rug, you, you take a spotlight and you shine it on the perceived problem. Right. So Mm -hmm. whenever we think, you know, this shouldn't be happening, this shouldn't have happened to me, there is a bad thing that's taking place right now in my life. Right. Instead of going, no, it's not. I feel great. I feel great. Right. That would be not helpful. (laughs) That would be an unhealthy denial of real pain. It would be to really look at the problem, right. Or the perceived problem, because a lot of, and I'm very guilty of this. I was causing so many problems in my marriage. I thought that they were real problems I had to fix and solve and be the hero of. And there really weren't that many problems. Yes. I mean, when you look at, say, you know, whatever a problem may be, someone shouldn't do something. You know, for example, in the book I share, you know, my I thought my husband shouldn't play video games. Like, that is disgusting. It's unacceptable. Yes. Like, it's gross. It's immature. Da, 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 <laughs> right? I had this whole story about how gross it was. And I'm like, okay, so instead of going, I feel great when he plays video games, it's fine, right? I can look at it and say, okay, so he plays video games. It's how he decompresses sometimes. Like, how serious is this really? <laughs> and I, my, in my first marriage, I share this too in the book, like I was married to a gambler, a gambling addict, and that was serious. I mean, that had real consequences right. in my life, you know, in my finances, everything. And so if my husband wants to, you know, kill baddies on the internet for a couple of hours of the weekend, like, <laughs> uh, where is the problem? Is it him doing that or my belief that he should not be doing that? Right. And what's so great that you say in the book is that because you're so chill mm-hmm. and because you just let him go into his man cave and, and do, the, do the video game thing, he, he ends up coming back to see you much sooner, right? Because yes. he wants to be with you because you're so chill and you're so easy uh-huh. that you're delightful to be with. So he doesn't want to play the video games for as long, but if you didn't let him play them, he would, right? So That's it's right. so smart. And interestingly, Judy has actually played them in a long time. I mean, I like that example because I know women love to think that their husbands shouldn't be doing certain things, right? And maybe there are some things right. that aren't appropriate, right? But a lot of the time it's like, let him eat the fast food. If he doesn't want to meditate, he doesn't want to meditate. Like, is this really a problem? How serious is it? And in a lot of cases, it is not worth your emotional energy. What is the most challenging part about letting things be easy? Why do we resist it so much? We resist it so much because no one supports it, right? Like, Judy, you tell me how many people have told you life is fun. Like, life is like this easy, fun, cool. Like, you know, I mean, this is kind of where the irony kicks in and I really like start to laugh to myself. Everyone will tell you that life is hard, right? And that, you know, living is servitude and hardship. And people will tell you, I mean, having a job, you know, it's hard having, you know, it's hard going to work. Oh, it's hard being out of a job. Having a business is hard. Oh, having an employer is hard. Having kids, oh, they're so hard. Not having kids, oh, that's hard, you know? It's like, like, where is the easy part? Like we are so, I joke in the book that ease needs a good lawyer, right? Because no one's representing it. If you're like, yeah, this is hard. Everyone will agree with you. Everyone will go, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, you're right. That's hard. Yeah, marriage, mm-hmm, that's hard. Oh yeah, but being single, yeah, that's also hard. Where do we get to catch our breath and have a break and enjoy it? It's absurd. Like, so this is, I mean, so that's why it's so hard. Like no one is encouraging it. It's not like um, a doctrine that we're taught. We're taught many other things. 
the opposite. Yes. <laughs> right. And so you feel it's like a rebellious, free way to live when you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not buying into that. I have pings of euphoria, of appreciation for the love in my life. Same with my work, same with my friends, same with my looks, same with anything else that I decide because I'm not going to introduce hardship because that's just what I've been taught and that's what everybody else does. That's so fantastic. I, I just, I really, really love that. You have suggested that the let it be easy philosophy is more of an unlearning than a new learning. Yes. So true. Yes. Look look at kids. They're the best. They're like driving in the car. This is the best. Like, you know, (laughs) oh, wow, look at that. A dog outside. That's the best. (laughs) Right? Like, and we're just like, "Mm, yeah, no, so impossible to impress. Like we've taken on these lies. Like we've taken on these lies. We've absorbed them as truth and we look for problems everywhere we go. We look for threats. We look for reasons to be unhappy. We look for things that could be, you know, dangerous. And what if we just did it? Like, think about most of your life, most of your days, they're pretty risk-free. It's so true. My, my husband always says 99% of what we worry about never happens. So why don't we just enjoy our lives more? And it's true. Oh, right? Yeah Mark, yeah, Mark Twain, I put this in my introduction for the book. He says, I've been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. And, <laughs> yes, so. and I'm not doing that to myself. I love myself too much to put myself through that. Yes, Absolutely. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your very cool take on how to make get-to-do lists fascinating stuff. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and we're joined by author Susie Moore. I also love that in your book, you encourage readers to call their to-do list a get-to-do list. And I love this suggestion. So brilliant. What do you mean by this? Well, Judy, let's look at your, I mean, give me maybe two or three to-dos you have today. Like whatever, and they can be really boring, like whatever it is, personal, professional, what do you have to do today? So two of the things I had to do was two interviews, one of which I'm doing with you right now that I loved. Yes. The other one was doing another interview with a wonderful uh, person as well, who's helping literacy uh, out there in the world and helping kids uh, read and and write. You know, I have to do a bliss minute. I have to film after this. It's joyful. Mm. It's a privilege. It is a privilege. And I, I don't know if this is what, what the answer is in, in your in your question, but but to well, me it's it, it's yes, I have to do these things. And yes, it takes a lot. And listen, this arm has added a whole set of challenges, yeah. but it's still a privilege. I get to do this wonderful work with wonderful people and I'm so grateful. Exactly. So you already do the get to do list, Judy, right? But you can imagine you, it'd be easy for someone in your position right now to say, look, I've got to go to the doctor, right? I've got to go to the doctor to have my injury looked at and I've got to drive, I've got to wait and it's painful. If you think about it, right, you have access to healthcare. 
Mm-hmm. As a woman, and I'm guessing a car to get to the doctor and the time and the money to pay for that health care, like you have the space. So like think a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. So true. Right. So even going to the doctor, look at what you have access to. As a woman who has access and resources to take care of yourself, you get to interview people who you find interesting. Yeah, and it's yeah. because you have listeners who want to pay attention. And yes. this is probably a dream of yours a couple of years ago. I mean, I'm not sure how long you've had this, but it, it, probably at some point you're like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if I got to interview people and people listen? <laughs> like you get to do that. I think about that all the time when I've got like cool work to do. I'm like, this was a dream a couple of years ago. I'm not going to spend a single second not appreciating it. So you create content for Oprah.com magazine, often around mantras that really connect to the let it be easy lens. What is a question that we should not be asking? We ask ourselves the wrong questions all the time, right? And bad questions, you just get bad answers, right? Like one really bad question that we ask all the time is what's wrong? Like what's going wrong? What's right? How about what's right? Right? <laughs> or, or just say like you, um, you know, you launch something in your business or something's off with a friendship or you maybe you've moved and you can't settle in. Yes. Right. Like instead of saying, you know, what's wrong with Austin or what's wrong with this friend or what's wrong with this launch or this job, a much better question that's a really uh, great creative kind of um, prompt is what's missing? Like, what could be missing here? Mm. Like, maybe what's missing in this new city that I'm in? Like, maybe I need to find, like, a salsa studio because I used to love doing that in New York, right? Or, you know, with this friendship, maybe what's missing is, you know, we kind of talk about deep stuff all the time. Maybe we need to go have some fun, go have some tequila and dance. Like, you know, and, like, let it be, like, let it be easy by having some fun. Like, with a job, if you're, like, I'm really bored and this isn't working out, you can ask yourself, like, what, how can I, like, how, how can I, can I implement a project? Can I collaborate with a team? Is there something else I could be doing? Like, what's missing? Maybe you're missing a great work, like a work buddy. Have you made the effort to get to know the people around you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so like asking the right questions too is also a huge, uh, let it be easy trick. I think you also, Susie, have a very sunny disposition. Were you always like this? Would you say you were always sort of a <laughs> uh, glasses half full kind of person and let's look on the yeah. bright side of life person? No. <laughs> really? You really see Yeah. Wow. Yes. Well, yeah. When I started writing that, it'd be easy. I, I was like, gosh, this intro, I'm going to have to be really honest, you know? And I shared how crabby and difficult I was to live with. And it was like at the point where my husband was like, you need to get some help. I can't live with you. You're impossible. Because I was so heavy and so looking for problems and what's wrong, like looking for things that were wrong, thinking that that was somehow noble of me to like be suffering and to be creating stress. And uh, I really had to lighten up. Like I really had to lighten up, ask myself, like, how serious is this? It's something that I still do. It's not like you reach a point and you're like, okay, got it. Yep. Life life is easy now. I get to kick back. I'm so upset. Like Judy, people joke that my next book should be, let it be easier. Whatever, whatever level of ease you let in or comfort or joy, it's like, there's always a new level, right? So when I'm like, when I thought I've let ease in, how can I let in even more? And so having a cheerful kind of disposition, being kind of optimistic, it can be learned, right? I think we're all born with a different kind of set point, right? And I'm not, I've never been negative or very cynical, but how I allow myself to be now is very conscious and chosen. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. All right. Let's get to some really good stuff here. You have a whole chapter in the book about being easy about sex. Can you elaborate? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I can. Well, I was having lunch with a friend of mine and she was complaining that her sex life would slow down. And she started going down the rabbit hole. Again, bad questions. What's wrong here? <laughs> yes. And she was like thinking it might be her weight gain. Maybe she needs to find a sex therapist. Maybe there's some deep trauma that she needs to solve. Like, and look, who knows? Do whatever you like with your life, with your body, with your, uh, you know, examination of the past. But I'm like, this can be easier. <laughs> like when, when was the last time, and this is a great question for any long-term couple. When was the last time you had like a, a hug that lasted more than three seconds? Right. When was the last time you made out like with your partner? Like it doesn't just happen. I mean, it happens when we're like, it's all new and hot in the beginning. Right. Or when we're teenagers, but like, when was the last time you actually had like a proper makeout session that can fix the problem? So you, you are so- <laughs> like, you are so bang on. It's actually, you speak, no, you speak such great sense. Like it even reminds me of a friend of mine who always says when she goes away with her husband and they're in some ocean somewhere and she goes, now I remember why I fell in love with you. And they sort of reignite and rekindle. And you see, and nothing had to change. It was always there. She wasn't tuned into it. Like a nice vacation setting helps, but you also don't even need to go away. You can be on your sofa with a candle, like not even a candle, whatever. Like, but why not? Why not just like make an effort to, um, to be more in not even a way that's sexual, but in a way that's, you know, physically close. And also another thing that we do is, you know, we put our, we put our partners down a lot. We, all of us. It's not like just women or just men. We put each other down a lot. It, it, it can happen so readily. And so when we're putting someone down or making them wrong, that isn't sexy. How can you no, be really attracted no. to someone who's wrong all the time? Like, yeah. you know, so how about we just like use words of encouragement, focus on like why you love them in the first place. Sometimes I'll even look at my husband if we're out somewhere and I'll like look at him as if I'm seeing him for the first time, as if I'm like a new person. And I'm like, oh, he is one fine man. <laughs> But look, that's conscious. And let me tell you, it's easier doing this than not doing this. Something that strikes me about you, Susie, is that you are very confident. And so I found it Mm -hmm. fascinating when you talked about the notion of confidence, which is simply a willingness to feel uncomfortable. I found that fascinating. What do you mean by that? I think sometimes we get confidence wrong, right? We think that we look at people and we think, oh, he or she's so confident because they're a great speaker or they look great or they have this great education. Maybe there's just something about them where you think, wow, they were just given this gift of confidence at birth, right? And that's just simply not true. When you look at what confidence really is, it's the person who's willing to be shut down, willing to be rejected, willing to look stupid, right? There's no creative person on earth who doesn't have to take the risk of being laughed at. Right. There is no entrepreneur in the world who doesn't take the risk of failing and having everyone see that. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. there's no woman or man in the world who's ever asked someone out, like taking that step of courage with the, with the possibility that someone could laugh and say, I'd never go out with you. Right. 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 So what is it like? What is it then that the, that the people who just keep going, keep taking forward motion? What is it that they're doing? Right. They're just willing. They're willing to feel temporary negative emotion. And to the person who can tolerate negative emotion and who keeps going anyway, what doesn't belong to them? Like mm-hmm. they're an unstoppable force. And I am willing to be uncomfortable. I'm, I'm willing to have mean comments. I'm willing to have people not buy my, my stuff. I'm willing to have a conversation with a friend if I need to talk about something and have them maybe uh, not love the conversation if there's something that I would just like to tell the truth about. Like I'm willing. And then as someone who's willing, I just naturally get results. And the good thing is um, anyone can be willing. 
You're so right. Jack Canfield always talks about the people that make it only three quarters of the way to the finish line because they stopped being willing. They stopped taking the risk. They were too scared of rejection and of disappointment. And the ones that keep going and plugging on things start to happen. And it's, uh, it's a way. Yes. It's like, that, it's like that meme, you know, where you see someone digging for diamonds and they're like an inch away and the diamonds are there, but they're like, yeah, no, too hard. I sweat too much. I failed at this. And it's like, what? <laughs> so Get back there. It's so true. I love when you talk about what is the best coaching question ever and why. I love this because I'm a coach. That was yeah. really great. What is the best coaching question ever and why? Yeah, I mean, I use this a lot during the pandemic. I mean, I use it with anybody who is experiencing stress or feels out of control or doesn't feel like, you know, they're really in charge of their current experience. It's what do I have control over right now? It's not what do I have control over in the future forever. It's just like today. What do I have control over? What I think, who I spend time with, my attitude, what I eat, whether or not I move my body, what my, the ability to assess my options, make a good choice based on reviewing my options. So those things you all have control over all the time. So fantastic. So you can't control your mother-in-law. You can't control the traffic. You can't control the weather. You can't control the government. You can't control so many things. But there is a whole lot of power that we abdicate uh, when we really possess so much. And how we design our days and how we spend our time and energy, that's up to us. You also encourage readers to stop saying, I'm proud of you. Why is that? Ah, uh, yes, this is a good one. <laughs> this is a good one, I think, because I think the intention is good, right? People say to me all the time that they're proud of me. And often these people are strangers too, right? So um, it's not a criticism of the loving sentiment that is lovely, right? Um, I just think that there can be something that's even a bit more honest that feels a bit better. So I learned this through Alfred Adler, the psychologist. He said that when we give a judgment, even if, even if it's a good judgment, mm -hmm. like you're so beautiful or you're so smart, it's still a judgment, mm -hmm. right? So it's still what he would call a vertical relationship, right? Where you're above someone and judging them, good or bad, you're the one who's the judge, right? And so what he promotes instead in terms of a horizontal relationship, instead of saying, you know, I'm proud of you or you're so beautiful or you're so smart, you would just share, he, he uses this term encouragement instead, which is subtle, but it's, it's important, the distinction instead of saying you're this or you're that, or I'm proud of you, right? Which may be reserved for a parent or a mentor. Right. Uh, you would instead just say the impact that person's had on your life. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying you're the best podcast host ever, you're so funny. You'd, you'd say something like, um, you know, when I listen to your podcast and I feel down, it makes me feel better. Thank oh. you. <laughs> you know? I love it. So, but you see how that, that's also more honest. It lands and it lands in such a deeper place. You stress in the book a lot that commitment is easy. How so? Oh, yes. Think about the person who wants to give up smoking or who wants to give up, you know, dairy or who wants to start working out and they do a bit, right? But then they have a sneaky cigarette or they don't work out and then they have a milkshake or whatever it may be. When we go back and forth, right? When we kind of 99% um, it, I call it, right? Like if you, you're in... But like, there's like that extra like 1% that is like, that keeps you in that decision fatigue of like, should I have a piece of cheese or should I commit to my, should I do this? Or look at someone who's committed to anything. Like look at like the teetotaler, for example, just the non-drinker. They're not going, oh, will I have a drink at this wedding? Should I? Is it? They're just like, no, it's commitment. That's easy. Yes. <laughs> it's such a clear defined yes or no. This is why I don't like gray areas. I talk about this in the book too. Gray areas are tricky, right? It's like, is this person my 
boyfriend or not? Like, just if it's a gray area, maybe not. Like, what is clear and true is easy. And when we're not committed, we're making our lives harder because we're thinking, should I do this or should I, you know, should I do that? What do I feel like today? What's right for me today? Versus just knowing, like, this is it. I'm committed. And when you see any successful person who's really excelling at something, it's not because they're 99 percenting it. It's not because I mean, a couple, a couple of good friends who are very successful YouTubers. They have very, millions of followers. It's not because they put out videos when they feel like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? It's because they release a video every week because that's their commitment. And that's why they're a pro. Absolutely. So do yourself a favor and commit. It's too hard to not commit. Like we think it's hard to commit, but it's actually so much easier because you're not second guessing yourself and you're not thinking, is this, you know, should I do this or should I do that? Is this the right thing? Is that the right thing? You just know. So know what's important to you. Often it's only really one thing at a time that needs a hundred percent. And then give yourself the gift of that easy commitment by just sticking with it. Brilliant. So brilliant. Very briefly, Palm trees. I'll never look at palm trees the same way after reading your chapter on the resiliency of palm trees. Can you tell us about what palm trees have to teach us about resilience? Oh my gosh, I love palm trees so much. And I'm in Miami and they're everywhere. And I'm so, I'm filled with appreciation wherever I see them. And I've always loved them because, you know, a girl coming from England, there are no palm trees, <laughs> right? Like we have other strengths, but like there are no uh, exotic palm trees in the UK. And when I look at a palm tree, I'm always just, just happy that I live in a warm climate. Um, but then a friend of mine down here explained to me something about palm trees because, you know, Miami gets a lot of hurricanes, right? There's quite turbulent weather here in the hot season. And he said, you know, the really cool thing about palm trees is that when there's a storm or a hurricane, you see them like bow and move and they, they bend like fully, almost like fully, fully horizontal, um, but they bounce back, right? Most trees don't do that. They would break. So it shows like the power of flexibility, right? What do we do when a storm comes? And it's proven that um, palm trees, when the storms do come and they hit and they, they bend and it looks turbulent, it makes their roots stronger, So it's like the storms bring us this strength. And in the moment, it looks crazy and scary, but we just come back stronger. And whenever I think about that, if I think a a turbulent storm's coming in my life, I think of like my little palm trees and I'm like, you know, stronger each time, like stronger each. And the storms will keep coming. So isn't that good to know? The best. So, uh, So great. It's such a fantastic metaphor and great image. And okay, so this I love as a life coach, and I love this as the host of this show, Finding Your Bliss. You encourage readers to know their one thing. Yes. What do you mean by that? And what is your one thing? Ooh, yeah. So I, I get it, right? We have these, I want to lose weight. I want to make more money. I want to make more friends. I want to, you know, g- contribute to like the local community. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, right? There are many things, desires, goals that we have to make a contribution, to improve our lives. And it can be overwhelming so much so that we do nothing, right? We're just like, ah, too much. <laughs> so what's like the one thing that would be a big big like game changer for you. For my husband, one thing that he did earlier this year was he just started going to bed and waking up at the same time. That seems like simple, right? And you'd think that most people do it, but we don't right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, but I'll watch an extra episode or I'm having so fun when I'm out. Like I'm just going to stay out. And it doesn't mean that we're not flexible, right? There, I'm, there are always exceptions, but to even have a regular sleep routine, that one change was so dramatic. 
for energy, for peace, for routine. So I would just think like there's probably something and we know what it is, right? For some people, they want to give up drinking for a while. Right? Mm-hmm. For some people, they want to get rid of like a toxic person, but they, they haven't had the courage for like 10 years, you know? Or maybe mm-hmm. they want to make it move somewhere. There's someone they always wanted to go. That's their, like one thing. Um, but we don't do it, right? We think, oh, there are many things and is this really important? And there'll be a better time. It's like, don't underestimate the power of one simple consistent change. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible what it can do for you. And you don't have to do everything now and be perfect to everything. But knowing your one thing brings you back to the truth of your life. And it can put you on a really different trajectory, even just one change that's helpful. Oh, that's so fantastic. I, I really do have so many more questions, it, like uh, just uh, oodles and oodles of them. And I, I would love to have you back again to continue. Yes, I'm even thinking please. I'd like to hire you as a life coach because I, <laughs> I was so impressed by, I, and, we're, and maybe we'll be allowed to do this in some bonus footage after the show. I'm going to ask my producer, but right now yeah. I'm just in closing going to ask you, what is bliss for Susie Moore? Ooh, bliss is when you don't have resistance. Right. When you get rid of the resistance and stress in the body and you just you, you're OK and happy with everything exactly as it is right now. And for me, that's easy, too. Ah, oh, that's lovely. Susie, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media, which I encourage you to do. And I encourage that everybody get this wonderful book. Yay, let it be easy. Let it be <sighs> easy. And because and, you really do make it easy. And it's, it's so Thank fantastic. You. What's the best way for people to contact you, get your book and follow you on social media? Thank you, Judy. It was certainly my goal for the book itself to be an easy read. No chapters bigger than three pages and you don't even have to read it in order. Uh, in fact, well, a lot of the early readers just say they flick through and land on the page that they need. So even the way you can read the book is easy and it's available everywhere books are sold. You also get a special pre-order bonus if you order before November 9th at Let It Be Easy Book. Com. Um, and otherwise, everything else is on my site, including a lot of uh, free confidence resources. Susie, S-U-S-I-E dash more, M-O-O-R-E dot com. And how can we follow you on Instagram, Facebook, all of that? Yes, I'm most active on Instagram and YouTube. And it's just my name, Susie Moore. And that's S-U-S-I-E-M-O-O-R-E. I want to thank you so much, Susie, for being on the show today. You made it so easy and so delightful. Yay, Judy, what a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Much to you too. It was fantastic. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss and our featured artists when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined by singer, guitarist and painter Bill Barnes. 
Bill Barnes was born in Port Glasgow, Scotland, and he settled in the Toronto area as a young boy with his parents and older brother. He became interested in the guitar in his early 20s, and Gordon Lightfoot was always a tremendous influence musically. When Lightfoot's song Go Go Round was released, that was really the catalyst for Barnes to begin diving into Lightfoot's material. And both Bill and his wife, who's also a musician, saw Gordon performing live at Massey Hall and were really hooked ever since. Also, as a lovely painter and a very talented painter, Bill had the opportunity to meet Gordon Lightfoot at Sam the Record Man's 50th anniversary on Young Street, where Gordon and his band performed a few of his tunes over the lunch hour. Bill presented Gordon with a framed painting that he had painted, which evidently was hung in Lightfoot's office at early morning productions. It was a painting of the train called The Canadian, which Bill had painted while listening to Gord's Canadian Railroad Trilogy. And when he was painting it, Bill was sort of sort of absorbed all of the majesty of the song, the actual building, and all of the sacrifices made in the completion of the track that runs all across our great land, all across Canada. So... Bill then became the lead rhythm and vocal of a couple of bands that played in pubs for many years. And he did all of this with a good friend, a bass player, playing tunes from the Eagles to Elvis to the Beatles. You name it, they will tackle it. They call themselves Riverboat after the Riverboat Coffee House, a venue that Bill would have loved to have played in just for the nostalgia of that wonderful era. After 9-11, Bill was inspired to write a song about what happened, and his daughter submitted it to John Oakley on CFRB 1010. Much to his absolute delight and surprise, he got a call the next day to come down to the studios and sit beside John and play it live on the radio with his guitar. There were umpteen very enthusiastic callers on the air that day who wanted a copy and Bill's song was called Sons of Liberty and uh, it became a recording and was truly a memorable time for Bill and his wife. John Downing of the Toronto Sun who heard the piece actually included Bill's name in the same sentence with Gordon Sinclair in an article he wrote about our brothers and good neighbors to the South. After 9-11, Bill started composing tunes with the Lightfoot influence, sort of ingrained in him at this point, and Bill wrote about matters that were very near and dear to his heart. In a wonderful meeting at Hughes Room, which is a wonderful place uh, in Toronto, Bill met Canadian country singer-songwriter Wendell Ferguson, who ultimately helped Bill produce his first album. The CD of tunes called The Way I Feel was created, and as Bill says, quote, I did my best to sound like me this time, as these tunes were from my heart and no one else. Now in 2021, scrambling around COVID, Bill is still playing with the same fellows. And even though they're getting a little bit older, they're still having a great old time knocking out some good tunes. Bill, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Hi, Judy. Hi. Thank you for having me on. It's, it's a delight to have you on. I have to tell you, Bill, that it's great to have you here. When you wrote to us, sent us some of your music, we all just loved it here uh, at Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer. And we're so happy to invite you onto the show. So congratulations for all of your work Thank and you. your album. And of course, 
Can you tell us what it was about Gordon Lightfoot's music that really spoke to you? Well, he seems to speak uh, uh, matters from the heart, really, Gordon. And the melodies are, to me, they're um, they're the best. His melodies, and also the uh, guitar interlays that seem to come through with his music. Uh, songs like like beautiful, if you could read my mind. I mean, those those are classics uh, that speak speak right to, right to your soul. Really, those are great songs, and they always uh, it always entice me to. You know, try and that music was so great. I always wanted to try and play it. And that's really what happened. And, that's the uh, that's the greatest compliment of all, I would think. Right. For an yeah, artist. And I, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, wonderful. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Bill, in addition to being a very talented singer, which you are, and, and the audience is going to get to hear that very soon because we're going to be playing uh, one of your tracks that I just I just love. I can't stop listening to it. So in addition to being a very talented singer and guitarist, you're also a beautiful painter. And recently, your work was featured in the June 2021 issue of Arabella magazine. That's and, correct, yes. And so congratulations on that, too. I love your painting of the Via train entitled The Canadian Via Vintage. And I've taken that train so many times back between <laughs> Toronto and Montreal. Right. So it just touched my heart to see it. Can you tell us as well what it was like when you presented your painting of the train, The Canadian to Gordon Lightfoot himself and how you felt when you learned it was hanging proudly in his production offices. Well, I can tell you when I uh, met Gord, it was um, a perchance thing because one of the fellows I was working with said, did you see in the paper that uh, Gord is going to be at Sandra Record Man live? I said, no. He said, yeah. So uh, we bundled off and we went down there to see Gord. And uh, it was wonderful because he came in with uh, Terry Clements and, and, uh, and uh, Dick Haynes himself, and they apologized that all they could do is play some ballads. Well, that was right what I was looking for anyway. <laughs> so uh, I stood maybe four feet from Gord uh, watching him. And for many years, I had paid lots of money to go and see Gord and saw him from a, you know, a little vintage point somewhere in Massey Hall. So here I was standing right in front of him. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. And it was hardly anybody there. It was like a private concert uh, to see Gord. So um, I decided I was going to give him my, my painting. And I had got it all framed for him with a nice plaque on it, uh, with matted, the whole works. So I brought it down. And uh, I actually kind of froze, actually, uh, just the awesomeness of actually seeing Gord and, and maybe shaking his hand. Um, but anyway, uh, his producer, a guy named Barry at the time, he, uh, he helped me get that painting to Gord. And Gord signed a CD for me. And we shook hands. And uh, that that was my meeting with Gord. I would love to have sat with him and, and chewed the fat. But obviously, that wasn't going to happen. But uh, so later on, I happened to call his early morning productions office. And I spoke to a young lady and asked uh, who I was. And I had given Gord a, a painting. Could you tell me if he actually kept it or did he? She says, yeah, is it is it a uh, blue and yellow train in the, in the snow? I said, yes. How do you know? She says, well, it's hanging above my head. <laughs> so that's how I knew. And then I was told that he had uh, taken it to his home. Now, I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's what that's what they had told me. Isn't so that one? That was that was my thing with Gord. Yeah. What a yeah. wonderful story. Yeah. What do you love about playing music, Bill? Well, it's uh, it relaxes me. 
and I enjoy singing. Um, thank God I, I was given a, a voice that I could sing with, and I'm, I'm told I stay on key. So, <laughs> so, so it was just fun to it's fun to play, and of course I always wanted to learn to play the guitar. And as I, as I had said to you before, I am not an accomplished guitarist, but I know enough to I know enough to get around. And I like to do the uh, the, the nice finger picking of, of mellow songs. Uh, but I also like to do the, as I said, you know, playing the Eagles or, or playing Elvis or whatever. So it's it's just fun to do. It's fun Fantastic. to do and it's fun to make people happy with the music when they start to dance and have a good time. And when they request songs, that's great too. So wonderful. Can you tell us about that special meeting you had at Hughes Room with singer, songwriter, and producer Wendell Ferguson? And out of this meeting grew an album, your album that she helped you produce. What happened that night? Well, uh, I had seen Wendell once before. Uh, He played with a a group called Betty and the Bobs. They're, They're amazing. At the Hughes Room. The Hughes Room's a wonderful venue, or it was. I, you know, I haven't been in a while. But anyway, Wendell was there again, and I said to my wife, I says, you know, if that guy's there again, if if he's there with Betty and the Bobs, Wendell, I'm going to go and ask him. Would he would he add that all that nice stuff into my music? And uh, I approached him after a set, and I thought he'd say, you know, go away. But uh, he said, he says, hi, yeah, sure, okay. So we, we, I got to know him, and uh, I went up to his house, to his basement, and the little studio down there, and and the magic came after that. Uh, Wendell is a, he's a wonderful person, and uh, and is so talented. Wendell, he did uh, steel guitar on that thing, he did his own guitar, the drums, everything, everything, and and I played the tracks for him with a with a click track. I sat and I sang them and played them. And that's how we, he built from there. Isn't that and fantastic? That, and we're, we're going to be hearing from that album very soon. We're going to be hearing one of your songs and it's, they're just wonderful. But I just wanted to ask you also, you started this Gordon Lightfoot Tribute Nights uh, thing, which you started doing with your band Riverboat, where yes. you included some narrated Gordisms and history yes. and the rest. And you've said that there will always be only one Gord, the master, but you were so excited to to do this. And people have just loved it and enjoyed it so much. What was special about those Gordon Lightfoot tribute nights? Well, I guess it was a it was a chance to do what I always wanted to do, plus just play a lot of Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> and uh, when, when we started doing them, there was a, a good response to them. Uh, people they weren't getting up and leaving; they, they were staying, waiting for the rest of it. Is what I'm trying to say. They were they were there for three sets. Oh, we wow. played uh, we played about thirty eight Gordon tunes. Right from his early days of go-go round, right through to the Fitzgerald and, and, and all the way through. And, um, uh, and then, of course, I would narrate in between because I, I had read, I had read Gord's book, two of the books of his. I had read them and, uh, just learned a lot about Gord and, uh, and also just his little Gordisms that, that come out at Massey Hall all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you're there, seeing Gord, uh, probably every Massey Hall since he started. We go, we go every year. Well, you have this wonderful album and you have so many great tracks on it. And I wish I could play them all. We're going to have to have you back to play even more of them. But we're going to start today sure. by playing the song with you. Can you tell us what inspired you to write this song and can you set it up for us? Yes, I can. Uh, that one, I can tell you with, with all true feelings. I was just sitting with the guitar, knocking around some, some finger picking and chords and a, a melody came to me. 
And uh, in my heart, I, I was I was thinking about my life with, with my lovely wife, who I'm blessed to have. And uh, all the words that are in there are about about Marnie, about Marilyn, uh, just my life with her and every, how it all went. And now you're getting me uh, uptight. So, yeah. so uh, well, I wrote it for her. Is what I wrote. Uh-uh. That's so beautiful and romantic. And guys, where do you hear this song? Let's have a listen to With You by Bill Barnes. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. That was just beautiful. I'm glad oh. you like it. Yeah. Oh, that, that was beautiful. And I think Marnie Marilyn is a lucky gal. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll talk to her. <laughs> For anyone who just tuned in, we were just listening to Bill Barnes' song, With You. And that is from the album, The Way I Feel. And also, I encourage everyone to check out all of Bill's music, including some of the other tracks I absolutely loved, which included Southern Comfort and Blue Jeans. What is bliss for Bill Barnes? Bliss for me is uh, really uh, continued good health, really, is, is to me is very important. And uh, just to continue playing and painting and having good health and, and having my family well, that's bliss for me at my stage of life now. That's wonderful. I think that's, that's one of the best answers I've ever heard because it really says what, 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 what it is all about. You're so right. right. Yeah. Bill, what is the best way for people to listen to your music and how can they connect with you on social media? Well, really, the, the only thing I'm really on is uh, probably my email, really. If someone wants to email me, I can certainly forward them a copy of the music. Uh, you can get me at uh, William K. Barnes at Rogers.com. That's W-I-L-L-I-A-M-K Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S at Rogers.com. You know what, Bill? We're going to include all of the songs on your album, The Way I Feel, onto the Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud so that our listeners can find your beautiful music. Please do. Yeah, I'd love it. Thank you. I do really want to thank you, Bill Barnes, for being here today. You got me a little a teary, actually, because... Oh, the song worked then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I just, it's just been an absolute delight and an honor to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. And, and I can't tell you how appreciative I am. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. All the best to you as well. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. And of course, you can find us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank all of our guests for being here today. Author Susie Moore and singer, songwriter and painter Bill Barnes. And a special thank you to Bill's granddaughter, Sierra Barnes. A special thanks to Mag Ruffman, producer Siobhan Kylie, senior editor Haley Allegia, editorial assistant Lauren Kaminsky, our wonderful new intern Shelley Koskinen, and audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.